Welcome to episode 94 of Kyperian Podcast. I'm your host, Yuri Brito. You know, in the early days of the church, the Christian community worked very faithfully to rescue abandoned children. And throughout the Christian history, Christians have been protagonists in the formation of orphanages and tremendous apologists for the cause of adoption and fostering the overall protection of the status of childhood, so to speak. The Bible, of course, portrays children as exemplars of the kingdom of heaven. Our faith, Jesus said, should be like theirs because their lives are lives of awe and wonder. And that kind of life is the kind of life that Messiah Jesus desired for his own kingdom. Now, in our day, there are no better prime candidates than an age group that presents themselves as innocent bystanders to be used in nefarious ways. Children have become in many ways icons for whatever cause is out there. And even though the particular causes that we despise are, are filled with apocalyptic footnotes, we believe very firmly the Bible has an exalted view of children in the kingdom of heaven. And the church needs indeed to have a very healthy understanding of children. And it seems to me that one day we begin to, one way we begin to do that is by instilling in our children a proper understanding of their bodies. Our guest on this episode is Dr. Justin Hocomb. Uh, much of Dr. Hocomb's speaking, writing, and ministry has focused on issues of abuse and assault and sex trafficking. And he and his wife, Lindsay, have published a wonderful book that I've used in my own ministry here in Pensacola entitled Rid of My Disgrace, Hope and Healing for Sexual Assault Victims. And they have also published several children's books and for me as a father of five, I am particularly excited about it. The latest one is entitled God Made Me in His Image, Helping Children Appreciate uh, Their Bodies. Uh, Dr. Hocomb, uh, welcome to Kyperia, my brother. Hey, it's good to be here. And I love what a great introduction on the topic. I mean, you just raised, you escalated the importance <laughs> of the conversation by talking about how the Bible, how Jesus Christ talks about children and all that. So thank you for taking the time on your podcast to address this and to uh, um, shine a light on a topic that either causes confusion for parents and children, or at best, and sometimes just parents feel inadequate or they fumble on this and actually right. end up doing harm, but they don't want to. So I appreciate the, the time talking about this topic. You're, you're very welcome. And uh, and for the record, Dr. Hocum was a foreign professor of mine at RTS. So we, we go long back. I'd like to see you. I love this book. And I read it to all five of my children. Even my 13-year-old had to sit down and uh, and, and listen to Patty read. And they loved it. And they had all sorts of wonderful questions. And I think that's the first dimension of this uh, children's books is what you want to do is, and you can follow up on this, Justin, what you, what you want to do as a parent is you want them to be able to ask questions so that they begin to ask the right questions, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm not trying to talk about two different books, but the, the, the first book we did was called God Made All of Me, Helping Children Protect Their Bodies. And so you can see the theme here is that we want to have a good, solid doctrine of creation. And what does that mean for how God views uh, bodies and how that informs parents and children about their bodies, about how to protect them from sexual abuse and how to honor them and appreciate them as themselves. And so what you want to do, going back to what you said, uh, the reason I brought up the first book is because 
um, the key point for both books is creating the conversation. You mm. want that pathway to your child on the conversations about these important topics to be well-worn. Uh, I mean, that's how sometimes that's, that's how um, sidewalks get, get made is you have, you have a bunch of grass somewhere and where people end up walking is where they're like, well, uh, this is a pathway now. It's, yeah. There's no grass. And so how, how wonderful if children's experience with their parents or caregivers is that this is a regular conversation. Now, with regard to how babies are made, we all know what we call that conversation. It's called the talk, right? It's, <laughs> yeah. well, well, children don't need the talk. They need numerous smaller conversations mm. that take step by step. Same thing with body image. It's, this is not a one and done conversation like, hey, you know, God made you and he called you good and good, good in Genesis. And you're made in the image. Isn't that neat? So feel better um, when kids make fun of you at school. Uh, just remember that. And we'll talk like maybe before you get married. I mean, so it's not a one-time conversation. So what I love about what you said is it's it's starting. This is a tool to start the conversation. So then you, you, put, you put some information in the conversation. And then the child ends up, depending on their age, uh, hearing that and going, well, what about this? And then they get curious. How does this apply to this? And a kid at school said this, or I feel like this. And then you start getting them to unlock uh, some of their thoughts and feelings about the topic. So yeah, the purpose of the book is distract them a little bit from the actual topic. I mean, we have, it's a kid's book. It literally, it's not a, it's not a parenting book to parents. It's a kid's book with vibrant illustrations. It's a bunch of kids going to a zoo yeah. to explore these animals and making connections between the animals and the animals' bodies and how God made those animal bodies particular and distinct, um, and then how the kids are reflecting on that. So the body image stuff is is all throughout it, woven throughout it, so that it, it makes it easier for the child to kind of um, take that conversation and, and keep running with it, or wait for the parent to actually kind of make, make a connection to them. So. Uh, right. That's no, the that's, longer way of saying 100% what you said is get the conversation going and keep it going with them. Right. Fantastic. And, and you know, as a pastor, I get a lot of questions and you in the same, your, your role as a minister, you get a lot of questions from parents who say, I don't know where to begin the conversation. And I think, I think what this book does is, is um, you don't have to know, you have to begin the conversation and a tool like this book here will help you begin that conversation. And so, you know, you, you come across parents who are just, they're unaware of how to explain certain details. And what you hear, and I thought it was so lovely, I read it again this morning, is that you essentially took the creation account, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and you distilled it, and you made it into a beautiful theology of the body that's accessible through storytelling, which to me is just a, the, the, the great paradigm of biblical history, the storytelling paradigm. I um, talk a little bit, if you will, about how we can begin to have um, maybe these conversations from a biblical perspective and how, how Genesis begins to establish that paradigm for body image and a proper understanding of the body in relationship to other bodies around us. Well, the, and, and this is uh, the doctrine of creation from Genesis. We're going to be doing a third book. So the first one was <laughs> Uh, God made all of me, which is how to help children protect their bodies. God made me in his image. This book we're talking about how to help children protect their bodies. And God made babies, um, how to start the conversation ah. about sex. 
And all of them are based on a theology of creation, which a doctrine of creation. And, and so the key to that is one, God likes making things. And so built into uh, our doctrine of creation is a creator creation distinction. God's majestic and amazing and eternal. So there's a, the glory of God. And the more you maximize and celebrate that, when you say, and he made humans in his image, it, it, there's an elevation in a proper sense uh, of like, so what's been fun is watching children go, you know, God made, and so using Imago Dei theology, using Genesis 126 through 28 has been an absolute blast because you first get to go through the days of creation and explain, like kids pick up on this. He made yeah. this and it was good and it was good and it was good and it was good. You got the humans and it was good, good. And they <laughs> see the difference. And, it, and what's wonderful is what we're doing, and this is what you and what you're doing with the podcast, um, we're kind of fighting against a dualism because like, we're, we're not, Christians are not radical dualists that minimize the significance of the body because we're so, we're so into spiritual things. We believe that those body and soul or the material and immaterial, whatever you want to call it, belong together in, in mm -hmm. unity and that we're, we're not dualists that think, thank God we're done with our body so we can right. go off to some ethereal realm. No, Jesus incarnated, resurrected. He's coming back with a literal body. We're going to have resurrected bodies. So the Christian tradition on body, the, what the Bible says about body is huge. So we're, we're kind of, we're fighting against a dualism that gets played out practically in parenting. And then the Imago Dei theology. I mean, uh, I, I believe, uh, as you know, from reading the book and uh, the ancient Near East is a very informative. So trying to actually explain Imago Dei theology with images and what, what that meant in the time, what's been fun watching kids get that and go, wait, kings, a king would set up an image of themselves in the domain where they, they rule. Mm -hmm. and, and if you defaced the image, it was like defacing the king. And God is the king and we're his images. That's amazing. Like kids are picking up on that. So it's, what's fun is seeing how kids can pick up on uh, if, if you can put it, the cookies on the lower shelf um, with some images and some explanations, kids will roll with that. So I think foundational and we're not starting with Genesis three. Genesis three is unbelievably important. I mean, I, I'm all into atonement and atonement theory. And the reason we have atonement is because of Genesis three and the vandalism of Shalom. But uh, this is based on Genesis one and two, and we run with that theme. We're addressing the effects of Genesis three of uh, abuse and body image issues and other things. Uh, and we're, we're running, uh, we're running, we're running from Genesis one and two, kind of taking that thread and just pulling it and then applying it. So, um, and, and because we're, we're trying to celebrate God's excitement for making, yeah. uh, God, God likes matter. God likes making and, and you're the crown humans are the crown of his creation. And he gave us this dignity, but also humility. I mean, we're, we're images of God. But we're only images. We're just images. And so there's built into that. And then how do we apply that to get, you know, it, it's, it's one thing to have, uh, there's research on this too, about positive self-affirmations, um, you know, uh, which is, you know, speak to yourself about positive things you want to tell yourself. And mm -hmm. it's to boost your self-esteem. Well, all of the research says that positive self-affirmations 
work for a very small amount of time. And then the person who is affirming themselves quickly realizes I'm the only one saying this. And it actually plummets their self-esteem deeper and lower than it was before. There's a cruelty to positive self-affirmations. The cruelty lies in the fact that it's only them saying this to themselves. What do we need? But we need a, we need a more authoritative, louder voice from outside of us bestowing an identity to us. And so that's what children are getting in this book is the creator and sustainer of the universe is telling them how he views them and how they should view themselves as opposed to, you know, just mom or dad saying, Hey, 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 Susan, um, you're really smart and pretty. And it's like, great. That's great that parents are affirming how much more powerful when the affirmation comes from the one who created them. And it's the authority of Yahweh uh, who has also redeemed them. So that's what we're trying to try to flip the voice of authority from themselves or just the parent to God. And then we participate in what he's saying to them as parents and as teaching the child how to think about themselves properly. Right. Well, that, listen, that's, that's fantastic. I, a few thoughts came to mind here as you were speaking. I, I often think about the role of what we call pietism in American history. And it seems that pietism in some ways, because they have begun doing theology from Genesis 3 instead of Genesis 1, that pietism in some ways has kind of created this sort of environment where these catastrophes can happen in our society, where child abuse can happen. When you begin with the theology of Genesis 3, without a proper understanding of what a redeemed world looks like, then your entire premise is that the body is not a non-essential. And begin with Genesis 1, you begin to have a very developed understanding of the significance that God places in the human body. And one of the languages you use here um, is you refer to, uh, in the conversation between the, the two kids, uh, Ruthie and Matteo, they um, talk about the language of royal images. And I love that sort of kingly image because uh, children need, this This is the, the, the affirmation of the Gospels, you know, in Matthew 3, where the father comes down before Jesus is sent out into his ministry to fight the devil. This is all a baptism language, right? Fight the devil. God says, this is my beloved son, whom I well please, which fits what you just said right there. Is that the, this, the divine affirmation comes through important categories because Jesus has understood the love of the father from his earliest days when he is ready to be sent out into the wilderness to fight devil himself. He has received the affirmation that says, I know who I am. I know the role of my body in this redemptive story, and now I can move forward. Uh, talk about a little bit about that, but specifically, Justin, if you don't mind, talk about the, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, about the the, per, the perceived, uh, the, the wrong starting point, which has tended to be in American evangelicalism, Genesis 3 instead of Genesis 1. Yeah, well, Let's, let's start with exactly where you started with the, the conversation with Ruthie and Mateo. It was right after we explained Genesis 1, uh, 26 and 28, images of God. And he, he, his, his exclamation was, wait, so we're considered royal images <laughs> right, right, of right. God? Well, then what we do at the very end of the book, and this is the thread, is this young girl speaks up. The very last lines of the book is this young lady, Willow, who says, because of what Jesus has done as our Savior, God makes us more and more like him, glorious images of God. And so what's happening there is, uh, and it is we're expanding 
the scope of the work of Christ in redemption and reconciling the world to himself. Um, because if you start, if you start with Genesis three, the issue is only, um, is only, uh, guilt of sin. That's it. Mm. Now mm. that's the bullseye. I, I'm, I'm yeah. completely fine saying that's huge. Like we need a sacrifice, a penal substitutionary sacrifice to deal with sin. 100% okay with that. But it's not only that. Uh, we lost something. So uh, what, what, what's happening here is you have, we have an enemy uh, so, uh, who, who hates God. And because he hates God, he hates images of God. So Satan wants to destroy us because of his hatred for God. Um, so there, there's an enemy happening. There's effects of sin, which is uh, shame. Uh, there's effects of other people's sin against us. There's sin has influenced me and you and everyone in the world, not just because I'm guilty, but because other people's sin influences me because it makes me feel shame. It makes me feel devalued. It makes me, it, it, it bestows to me another identity. So I'm either going to be marked by one of three things. What have I done? What has someone else done to me? Or what has Jesus Christ done on my behalf to reconcile mm. me to the father? And so when you, when you start with God, that brings us right back to your question. Now, when you start with only Genesis three, we're narrowing the amount of uh, great things that we are actually saying about the work of Christ. Um, so because Jesus incarnated, there's something with the idea of God being with us. Um, he's with us. His perfect life is his fulfillment of the law. And that's the reason we're declared righteous. He's, a, he's also a sinless sacrifice. Uh, his death on the cross is how the, the, our sins have been paid for by having a substitutionary sacrifice, which we learn from Hebrews and Colossians and Revelation, is yes. also how he conquers his enemy. He conquers Satan by dying on the cross. And then he rises again, vindicating who he is and conquering Satan's sin, hell, death, and the grave. He ascends to the right hand of the Father where he's interceding and mediating and advocating for us. And he's coming again to uh, to get his own to make all things right and uh, and to come back as the glorious king. Like if you do just Genesis three, you'll mostly only talk about the crucifixion, which right. again is the bullseye. It, it for the apostle Paul, um, you know, for him to talk about like he talked about the cross and resurrection, cross and resurrection, cross and resurrection. He didn't talk only about the cross and resurrection. So Genesis three as a starting point. Only it, it, it truncates uh, yeah. the glory of the work of Christ, and it sets us off in, uh, in a, into a pietistic, um, okay, I, I need to be forgiven of my sin, and I need to stop doing the sin. It's like, well, yes, you do, but it's a lot different narrative than just that. Like, I'm forgiven, stop doing it. I'm, and usually, usually, because if you only talk about the cross, the personal experience spiritually is... Well, I've been forgiven of my sins, so I'm back to zero. I'm out of debt. If I'm going to have anything added to my account, I need to get to work. So just talking about the crucifixion alone, a la Genesis 3, because we're guilty and we need a penalty uh, dealt, dealt with, then it puts sanctification and works onto us alone. Well, mm -hmm. because of the work of Christ, because of his righteousness that is bestowed to us, that is given to us, that we are declared righteous, the Christian message is your sins are forgiven, you're out of debt, 
and he has given you his righteousness. So you're declared righteous. So, I mean, this is right from the confessions, right? Right, right. Our sins are forgiven and we're declared righteous. Why? Because of all of the works of Christ. Um, And so... Uh, I, I'm, I keep on saying the same thing because you got me excited. I can I can hear it in my voice. <laughs> Genesis three narrows the tunnel of celebration of the work of Christ, starting with Genesis one and two. It gives us this vision of what Jesus is actually restoring, of what shalom is. He's bringing a kingdom of shalom, and uh, and and we miss that if we don't look at Genesis one and two of what was actually lost. And then that's what happens in Revelation anyway. Is this garden city? Um, that has a tree in it, just like the other tree from the other garden. Like the way the Bible talks about this is the the the, the New Jerusalem in in Revelation twenty twenty one and Gen- Revel- Genesis one and two. They're connected to each other, and we have to pay attention to that. All right. So uh, uh, one one couple couple closing thoughts here, uh, Doctor Bookham. One of the things that you um, that comes up in the in the book. Uh, towards the end is you have, by the way, you have a, a lovely sort of a, a synopsis of everything you've done. And towards the end of the book, you have, you know, how to encourage children to have a healthy body image, um, biblical verses and God's promises to, to our children. Um, but a follow-up to what you, what you just said there is when you are dealing with, and you talked some of this in the Rid of My Disgrace book, which was, again, I, I really encourage our listeners to take a, take a peek at that. When Christians begin doing their theology from from Genesis chapter three. It seems that for those who have suffered immensely through through sexual abuse, the hope is the hope vanishes in some ways because they don't have any proper categories to think of hope and redemption. As a, as a pastor, as a, as a writer on this topic, uh, as we come to a close of our conversation here, what would you say to that that young lady or young man who have been uh, sexually abused and are struggling greatly. They're living in the heart of Genesis three, of shame and guilt and anger. What would you say to encourage their hearts um, in, in this moment, so they can think more broadly about what God does in redemption, which means what He will do in their own particular lives? Man, what a what a great question! What an important question. Uh, well, look. Let's go straight to Genesis 3 and deal with some specific issues. Um, what happens in Genesis 3 is, uh, is they're naked mm-hmm. and they're, they're kicked outside of the garden. And because of sin, they're defiled. The three images of shame, and again, shame is usually the category. Shame is usually the category of the, the kind of catch-all category I use for um, you know, guilt is when I sin. Shame is when people sin against me. Again, it's not that nice and clean, but just we're, we're talking mostly about shame. What you described is I, ha- I feel shame. I need hope. Well, we're naked. We're outside the camp and we're defiled. And what we see in the ministry of Jesus is that he takes on all three effects. Those are the three main images of shame in the Bible. With the Bible, the way the Old Testament talks about nakedness and defilement and being outside the camp being excluded from the people of god is that that those are the three biblical images of shame and in his ministry especially his crucifixion jesus christ is stripped naked he is crucified outside of the city in the garbage heap and he is defiled both by being killed by a bunch of romans 
and uh, and literally just disgusting. What's happening? I mean, as as Fleming Rutledge says, crucifixion is for the scum of the earth. And mm. so he has bodily fluids dripping from him. He has garbage thrown at him. And so what happens is Jesus Christ takes on our nakedness, our defilement, and our exclusion for the and, and really does not like kind of spiritually kind of like he is literally stripped naked. He has he is made filthy and he is being crucified in a garbage heap outside of the city. So we could be robed with righteousness. So we are clean to the precious blood of the lamb. And so we are the adopted children of God. We're not just inside the camp, inside the city. We're in the family of God. Uh, J.I. Packer says justification is the way in, but adoption is the crown jewel of redemption. Like, so what that, what that means is there, the hope is not that, well, will God fill us with the spirit and, and cultivate the fruit of the spirit and give us, uh, uh, things that we will do that will make us feel better? Maybe. More importantly is what Romans says about the Holy Spirit. He, the Holy Spirit pours the love of God into our hearts. Um, the Holy Spirit fixes our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ, who has taken the effects of other people's sin against us and gives us something else. And so it makes me think of uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, who wrote Treasure Island. Yes. The image of hope that I have to offer those people is... When he was a little boy, he, he, he had a way with words then. And so there's a story in one of his biographies about him looking down a mountain and watching a lamplighter at the bottom of the hill lighting lamps as night was falling. And his mom and dad said, what are you doing? We called you for dinner a while ago and you seem fixated. What's going on? And he said, mom, I'm watching this man punch holes in the darkness. Wow. And I thought, what a great image, just as a seven-year-old kid, yeah. but even better, that's what Jesus Christ is doing. He's coming into the world where Satan tried to grip it with his fist of evil, and I'm thinking of Rodin's you know, hand of Satan. If you look at the hand of Satan in Rodin, it's this hand that's trying to make someone feel isolated and pushed down into chaos, and Jesus is coming back as the king and saying, Satan is not your creation Get your hands off of my world and my people. It's mine. And the hope we have is not that we'll get some good advice and maybe figure out how to create our own hope. Even more important than that is that Jesus Christ has offered us present hope and eternal hope that we are in relationship with God and things have been made right and that we have a community of other people who are walking along this. And that's, that, that the condemnation that we feel now is done there is now no condemnation for those who are in christ final judgment's done for us because we're in christ so that's our hope has to come from outside of us and what better place than uh for the creator to take on human form to submit himself to genesis 3 realities and then to absorb it into himself have evil play out on him and for him to conquer it in his entire ministry uh, that's that's the hope we have. Yeah. Well, hearty amen. Reverend Dr. Justin Hocomb is he and his wife, Lindsay, are the author of a, a wonderful new children's book entitled God Made Me in His Image, Helping Appreciate Their Bodies. We'll make these available in our in our show notes for our listeners. Uh, Dr. Hocomb, man, what a joy to see you. And thank you for having this really, really important conversation. I appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for some fun questions. And I, I really appreciate it. It's good to see you again, brother. 
Likewise, brother.